Hi, everyone. Pastor Galen, lead pastor at Shine Hills Church. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. We hope that these podcasts will be a real encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. You can also connect with Cheyenne Hills at CheyenneHills.org. Hope you enjoy the program. We are the street and around the world. Hills. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our March through Genesis. But I, before we get to Genesis, I got a quiz for you, Ken. This is, this is cold because I didn't prepare you for any of this. Okay, so today is... It's not going to be aired on Cinco de Mayo, but we're, we are recording this on Cinco de Mayo. Okay. So can you tell us what Cinco de Mayo means? It means the 5th of May, <laughs> <laughs> for a short answer. So wh- why, why, do we, uh, why do we celebrate? Why is, why is it celebrated, especially by the Mexicans? This is a big, a big uh, I, celebration. I, I didn't know much. I assumed it was independence of Mexico from Spain, but that's yeah. not accurate. Well, actually, what happened, and the only reason we know this is because our producer actually Googled it, and we all know now. Actually, he, he knew the answer. He just needed to confirm it. But it was Mexico fought a battle against France. France and Britain and Spain had come to an alliance. This is according to our, our Google expert over there behind the, uh, the soundboard. Uh, but the uh, an alliance against Mexico because Mexico has a debt to pay, okay, and so Mexico actually beat apparently France. So that it, France is the main main one, and so they beat France, and uh, that was their. It wasn't necessarily independence, but it was a big battle. So the celebration that that Mexico at least now I don't know if you go to the man on the street and he knows this stuff. <laughs> I didn't, but this is according to uh, via producer via Google. So there you go. Okay. Uh, now you Interesting. Know. I gotta throw a, Historical. I got to throw one more at you because now All this right. actually sort of a, a ties to Genesis. Okay. When I say John Wolverd, what comes to mind? Uh, former president of Dallas Seminary. Okay. Tell me what else do you remember about Wolverd? Uh, now was he president when you were there? Yes. Okay. He, he was, was. He was chancellor when I was there. Okay. No, he was still active president when I was there, but, and he was, actually teaching classes too, and really? of course a lot of. Uh, his big uh, forte was uh, revelation and end times yeah, eschatology, right. and perfect one. lead in because so when I when I was there, he was the first guy that spoke to the freshman incoming freshman that year, and I didn't know him. I didn't know anybody. The only person I knew of was Chuck Swindoll because I listened to him on the radio and I knew he went to Dallas Seminary. But all the other famous people, yeah. I didn't realize how famous they were until I I really you know started uh-huh. reading their books and was like, wow, this guy's a giant. Walford is a giant, especially when it comes to eschatology. And it does tie into Genesis, so so hang on out there. But um, uh, Walford said, it was the first address that he made to us. And, and just so you know, this was in 1989. And when I got there, that's when uh, the Gulf War, the first Gulf War started. Okay. And so it's like everybody was thinking, wow, this is the end, right? This is the last. This is back close to Babylon, you know, this whole thing. And this, and, and Walverd was actually called on by most, if not all, of the news outlets at that mm-hmm. time, the major ones, I mean, in New York. Mm-hmm. And he was on all the time saying, they're asking the question, is this the big one? And he had written a book uh, called Armageddon, Armageddon, oil crisis in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And his whole thesis in that book, and that was years before this happened, his whole thesis in that book is that oil would actually drive everybody back to Babylon, Mm -hmm. back to that area. And, um, and he was, he was spot on. I mean, that he wrote that book. I wish I had it in front of me. I'm pretty sure it was in the sixties and he wrote that. 
And uh, well, he they actually updated it a couple times since then and, and added some more to it. But anyway, here's what Walford said. The first thing I remember him saying that struck me, uh, and he was a mountain of a man. I mean, he was probably six, four, five. Pretty, pretty you say? tall man, yeah. Big. And impressive and and uh, real kind of a gentle giant, mm -hmm. real soft. I would say soft spoken. Yeah. But when he spoke, it was a big boom. You know, it, you could tell that was the that was the <laughs> that was the boom that you were listening for. Yeah. But he um, he he said he believes that the reason that that uh, that America is prosperous is because we bless Israel. That was the first thing I remember him saying, and I just hit, hit me like, what? And so, um, but, you know, throughout unpacking eschatology and understanding the Abrahamic covenant, which is we're going to see God reinstate or re-remind Abram of the Abrahamic covenant, the promise that God made to Abraham. Now, what we learned in, in seminary is of all the covenants, this was an unconditional covenant. In other words, God is the one that, that wrote this, and the way he wrote it is he... Remember, he slaughtered the animals. You can help me out here because mm -hmm. I'm kind of going. But he, he had there's an ox and a lamb and some pigeons, and, and they he split them. And then a, a pot of fire, right, passed through them, and saying that this will be a covenant between you and me. And the covenant was written so that um, if Abram failed, God wouldn't, right? Yeah, as I recall the traditional way of doing that, the blood covenant was that both parties would walk between the okay. severed halves. Right. But in this case, it was just God. God, God put Abraham to sleep or Abraham saw it in a vision. Yeah. And, and it's only God. God that walks between because he is the one that's going to keep the covenant. He's going to, he's not relying on man to keep his half, yeah. at least on this covenant. Yeah. There was other covenants like the Mosaic covenant. Uh, that was the conditional, mm -hmm. but this one was unconditional because God wrote it in his, is signed it in his own hand, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. yep. And so, so what God said to Abram is that you're going to be a great nation. You're going to have multiple, you know, more descendants than the sands of the seashore, and you're going to have this land, all right? And so we just saw a, in Genesis chapter 13, we saw Abram and Lot separate. Now, Abram uh, was supposed to leave all of his family, and he didn't. He took Lot with him. That was his nephew. And they started having quarrels between their herdsmen, and so they divided the land. And, and Abram said, listen, Lot, you take whichever land you want to take. And so he took the valley. He took the fertile valley. It was, I think, was drop-dead gorgeous green and lush and fertile at that time. And it is not today, but at that time, which is around the Dead Sea now. Um, and he chose that area, and and so Abram said, "All right, I'll take everything else." And so after that separation of the herds and the people and all those things, and and the, their servants, uh, this is what happened. This is uh, Genesis chapter thirteen, verse fourteen. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, "Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you." and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as dust of the earth, so that if, if one cannot, if can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, and I, for I gave it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Memory, which are at Hebron, 
and there he built an altar to the Lord. Now, the Oaks of Mamre, um, it, to me, it's south of Jerusalem. It's You were, had some insight on this, actually. Well, it was just, uh, I was talking about the where you teach that course on Bible study methods, and one, one, the first method is observation. Yeah. And I, you know, I read through the Bible a couple times, and I preached it and taught it, and but I always thought the Mamre was a, just a geographic location. location. Right. I did too until you <laughs> and, said this. And, and reading the, the Bible, especially as we get into chapter 14, verse 13, it's like Mamre is an actual person. So <laughs> the so oaks the, were his oaks. Everybody yeah. knew the oaks of, maybe. of Jim, Mr. Jones or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. And maybe it was because he planted them. You know, maybe sure. he's like, hey, I'm going to uh, bring up a forest and sell the timbers. Yeah, who, could I be. Mean, who knows? Could who be. knows? But. But anyway. that's where he settled, and that yeah. was a part of. And so now the other thing I want to kind of clarify, or at least talk about. I don't know if we'll clarify it today, but when when God gave this land, it was a bigger land than just the the uh, land of Israel we see today. It it went um, all the way to the Fertile Crescent, the way I understand, it, which would be the fr- 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 River Euphrates, all on the north. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, Mediterranean on the west. <clears throat> um, on the south would be, uh, I think, probably the Red Sea. All right. Now, the the eastern boundary, I'm always fuzzy on. I, I would say clear down the Fertile Crescent. Go ahead. Do you have any thoughts I, on this? No, I don't know on that eastern boundary where But where But um, when, he, when he looked as far as I could see, I know that if you stand on those that ridge of mountains uh, just out s- east of Jerusalem and west of Jericho, you can see there's an, the big mountain of Moab, mm. which is in Jordan. Oh my God. Yeah, right. And you can see that. You can also stand um, up in the Golan Heights on that ridge, that ridge, and look out. And you can, if you have uh, knew where you're looking, you can see Damascus, and that's up in Syria. Yeah. So the scope of this land is way bigger. We can at least say that. I'm not sure exactly what the boundaries are, but we can say this: we, it's way bigger than what they have today. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And they keep selling, trading land for peace, and you know that doesn't ever really work out so well for them. But um, so anyway, God said, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you a people, a land, a seed, and a blessing. The seed are the people. The blessing is, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And that's an unconditional covenant that God gave. Now, the reason I say all that is because that actually affects our politics, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Because it affects how we, what we think about Israel, right? Um you can jump in here anywhere, anytime you want, but this is uh, basically, I'll just speak for myself. The reason that I believe we are to bless Israel is because I believe the Abrahamic covenant is still alive and well. I believe it's an unconditional covenant. Now, granted, not every Christian or every uh, Christian tradition believes that. Some think that, that the church has replaced Israel and that that covenant is no longer. Um, the way that Walford and the way that you and I uh, got our teeth cut on this end times uh, things is that God still has a plan for Israel and the church is a parenthetical. uh, It's the bride, if you will. And uh, Israel is called the wife. There's two different plans that God has one for Israel, one for the church. And uh, that's, that's part of what shapes our theology and our politics. Yeah. And Romans nine and 10 really seems to reinforce this, right? That it, I mean, people who hold to that the church has replaced Israel tend to look at it as well as a spiritual thing, but right. um, there's the spiritual aspect. I mean, that we are in the faith of Abraham when we are no believers, question. right? but still the, um, 
the, it's the physical, the ethnic line still continues, and and Romans nine and ten seem to make that clear that right. Paul talks about his uh, kinsmen according to the flesh, right. and that God's going to restore them. Right. You know, so it's yeah, uh, nine, ten, and eleven actually, because that yeah. root, yeah, that root which is uh, Israel, uh, the the natural branches are cut off, mm-hmm. and we the wild olive shoots are grafted in, and that. Very clearly, that wild olive shoot, that's Gentiles. That's that's the church age. And he said, you shouldn't be arrogant because um, if God removed the natural branches because of their disobedience, you know, he can also, he will also remove you um, if you, if you don't, if you don't obey and, and remain grafted, if you will. But the root is not the church. The root is Israel. Yeah. And I think, I think those are things that um, really drive uh, the narrative, at least for, for those of us that look through that particular lens, and um, there's a there's a lot of uh, seminaries that do that um, look at that uh, dispensational view. It's like we don't buy into this replacement theology. Lots of great Bible teachers do, though. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's an interesting thing to me. I I don't know if I fully understand why. Um, I look at some of these patches, passages, and and I, and it seems so obvious to me. But I think you hit on it. If you spiritualize it, that's how you have to get there. You have to have a spiritual Israel and not a literal Israel. Yeah. And, you know, like I've said, it, it Romans 9, 10, and 11, just it yeah. really, I mean, he seems explicitly to say yeah. they are the kinsmen according to the flesh. You know, yeah. the physical G- Jews will be the ones that will inherit the actual yeah. geographic land of right. Israel. It's interesting to me, and we should count this up, but how many times God re-reminds Abram of the Abrahamic covenant. We know the first time he's, he says it in 9-6, I believe, and he tells Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to be blessed. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bless you through this. And then he reminds him again, and then here again we see it one more time. The Lord said to Abram, after he had separated, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, you are northward and southward and east and west for all the land that you see I will give to you, you and your offspring forever, and I will make your offspring as dust of the earth. can't even count them. And he told him to rise and walk through the whole thing. Now, this time he doesn't talk about the blessing, but he does talk about the land and the seed. So um, I think it's fascinating. And uh, just uh, one paragraph, but I think a very important paragraph in Genesis chapter 13. Yeah. Well, we're going to continue on Genesis chapter 14. And and this one, it has more names to mispronounce for me. <laughs> I, I hope that people will give us a lot of grace as we dive into this next chapter. But, but there's also important lessons in Genesis chapter 14. Thank you so much for joining us in our, in our podcast in Genesis as we plow through the book of Genesis. And right now we're right in the middle of Abraham. 